business is the fuel that drives America. Innovation, hard work, risk, and reward. It's what many call the American dream, and we're bringing the dream to you. It's the Business Beyond the Boardroom Show with your host, Mark Steckman. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of the Business Beyond the Boardroom podcast. It's episode number 257. It was recorded earlier this week, and it's a conversation that I had with Raymond Ferrara, who's the CCO, the Chief Compliance Officer of Provise Management Group, located right here in Clearwater, Florida. We're talking about your money, what's happening with inflation, where to find investment opportunities, and more. Now, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I encourage you to go back and scroll through earlier episodes. There's a ton of great insights on marketing, business, finances, leadership, entrepreneurship conversations. So much going on outside the boardroom in business, and we cover it all. Lastly, if you like this podcast, do me a favor, share it, subscribe to it. And just as important, if you're listening to it today on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor and rate the show. Now, here's today's episode, episode number 257. Enjoy. One of the biggest topics on the minds of everyone across the country and certainly across Tampa Bay is their money. Money, 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 money is on the minds of everyone and how you're spending it, what to do with it, how to protect it, how to grow it, even in these inflationary times. And that is why we have this morning a great show lined up for you. As a matter of fact, I've got uh, Raymond Ferrara with Provise Management uh, joining us this morning. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, and uh, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. I said it's a great day in Tampa Bay. It's always a great day in Tampa Bay. I'm looking out the windows. Blue skies. It's hot outside. It's summer. Kids are off. Parents are at home. Probably some folks looking at their you know, bank statements that just arrived in the mail. Probably the, the, May, uh, <laughs> the May invoice, the May, the May statements, and Probably not not particularly thrilled with what they're seeing on their investments and savings and good, all that good stuff. But one of the things that people are talking about, Ray, right now is the Federal Reserve. And I know a lot of people are throwing around the name Federal Reserve, but or they call it a lot of people abbreviate it, call it the Fed. But a lot of folks don't really know what the Federal Reserve is. Let's start off today's show by giving a little history what the Federal Reserve is and what it means to us in this inflationary environment I just mentioned. Well, the Federal Reserve, uh, as we know it today, um, is not quite a hundred years a uh, hundred years old. Um, the um, uh, if we really go back in the history of the United States, uh, Alexander Hamilton was the first one uh, to um, propose the idea of a of a national bank. Um, and that didn't work out too well for him. Um, and several times uh, subsequent to that in the early days of our country, there were attempts at a, at a national bank. But they were all abandoned by the 1820s, and we were without a central bank um, uh, for um, all, almost 100 years. And it was um, uh, in the uh, early days of uh, the 1900s that the concept reemerged again, um, and it actually, from the failure of the banks in the very early 1900s, 
uh, J.P. Morgan was the fellow who stepped up with his own personal money and um, uh, stabilized the banking industry. And it was at that point that Congress, like it often does, is there after the fact, stepped up and created the Federal Reserve Bank as a central bank that had essentially two mandates. The first mandate is to um, uh, maintain full employment, and full employment is roughly defined as unemployment at about 3.5%, which is where we are today. Mm. But its second mandate is to control inflation, um, and hence uh, uh, the traditional way to control inflation has been to uh, raise interest rates to try to slow down the economy. And we're starting to see some of the early signs of, of that at, at this point. Um, mortgage applications uh, um, are the lowest they've been in over 20 years. Houses, um, there are more houses on inventory now. People aren't buying quite as much. It's not put your house on the market and, and 24 hours later it's sold all cash. Uh, while that's certainly still happening in some aspects, it's it's not happening in the same way that it did uh, that it did uh, over the let's say the previous six months. So the idea behind raising interest rates is to slow the economy down, and you'll hear the words hard landing or soft landing. A soft landing is where the Federal Reserve is crafty enough to continue to raise interest rates with, and slow down the economy, but not cause it to go into a recession. Mm-hmm. On the flip side. Uh, there is a, a hard landing, and the hard landing is that it goes into a recession. And recessions can be short and swift, as they were back in uh, uh, 2019, or excuse me, um, in 2020 with the pandemic. Um, or they could be relatively long, as they were back in the 70s and the um, and the early 80s, lasting a year and a half or more. Mm. Um, so. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, has a very powerful uh, way of maintaining stability or lack thereof in, in our economy. And one of the major ways is that they can literally print money out of thin air. They have a magic checkbook that anytime they want to increase the money supply, uh, they can force money into banks, making the banks have to invest the money and invest the money in loans. And that will stimulate the economy. Or they can withdraw money from the economy, which is what they're starting to do now, uh, and give the to less money to invest. So it's a very powerful uh, organization. It tries to remain and has done a good job of remaining independent from the political atmosphere. Uh, and uh, um, we would expect we would expect that the, that there's a 50-50 chance. I hate to be wishy-washy about it, but. Uh, history of the Fred, Fed says that it doesn't produce a soft landing very often, but it has done it. So we're not ruling it out yet, but um, we just have to be extremely careful as we as we go forward. So the Fed is the central bank. It creates money. It takes money back uh, and controls a large portion of what happens in our economies. And in the at the end of the day, it's the politicians who take all the blame or get all the credit. It's not the Fed, but right. that's where the the blame and the credit belongs. I always uh, describe inflation as um, too much money chasing too few things, right? And so what you're describing is the Fed's job is to 
to you know impact how much money is on the market. So that'll of course impact how many things are bought and how fast and all that. But uh, with inflation so high right now, are we really are we back to the 1970s? Are we looking at double digit inflation in our future? I mean, I know we're not there at least technically speaking yet. They've been saying we've been in the eight. Some people have been saying maybe we're in the double digits. What's your thoughts on that? So there are a lot of of people who would like to draw parallels back to the 70s, uh, but there's darn few of us who actually lived through it, and I happen to be one of those few that uh, that did. Um, and in in much of much of the 70s, a lot of that inflation occurred because of uh, what I'll say are three things. First, Nixon took us off of the gold standard in the early 70s. Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, gold was once pegged at $35 an ounce, not for a penny more or a penny less, particularly when it's around $1,800 an ounce today. Right. Uh, so um, that, that's kind of number one. Number two, we came out of the, um, um, out of the Vietnam War. Uh, a lot of money was reinvested back into America, um, a lot of cash, much like what we had uh, have today, and hence the, some of the parallel. And then the third was the energy crisis. Um, and the oil uh, embargo uh, th- that occurred where many of us were in long gas lines for hours at a time to fill up our tanks or get a half a tank. And uh, amazingly, it was rationed in, in that if you're in many states, that if your license ended in, a, in an odd number, you went to the gas station on odd days. And if you had an even number, you went to the gas station on even days. Mm. Um, the major concern that we have relative to inflation at this point are energy prices. Uh, the, the OPEC nations um, um, uh, have refused to increase supply, which they're more than capable of doing if they wanted to. Uh, but there's also the speculators out there that are trying, trying to drive the prices higher, much as they did about 10 years ago, uh, eight or 10 years ago. Um, and at some point, uh, the speculators will get crushed again, uh, just as they did eight or ten years ago. In the meantime, uh, we're going to see continued upward pressure on energy prices. And the best way for people to begin to anticipate that inflation may be moderating. Don't think it's going to go away. Uh, probably going to stay in the 4 to 5% range for maybe a year or two. Um, but to begin moderating will be to see energy prices uh, coming down. Mm, that would be a good thing. Well, then the next great follow-up question for you, Ray, is uh, what investments are best suited for this type of inflationary environment? Um, in the form of stocks, uh, it's our belief that um, uh, the best stocks to be investing in right now are uh, companies who have a great balance sheet, who are paying dividends, who have a history of increasing their dividends. Those are the companies that you want to be looking at in this kind of an environment because the volatility is going to continue to be there until inflation becomes less of the news on a daily basis. Um, at, at a bond level, certainly there are treasury-insured protected securities, TIPS as they are often called, um, however, because of inflation being in the news, they're expensive at the moment. Um, but one of the things that and we have chatted about this before on the, on the show uh, that I think everybody really needs to be investigating, and that is the I-bond. Uh, this is a bond issued by the U.S. government. 
where it changes the interest rate every um, uh, every six months. Yeah. Uh, every every person can purchase up to ten thousand dollars of I bonds uh, directly from the government. You can't get it from your broker. You can't get it from your financial advisor. You have to do it online. Uh, you can also buy up to five thousand dollars if you have a tax refund coming. So you could get fifteen thousand dollars a year. And the reason you want to do that, it's paying over 9% today. Yeah. Uh, and it will adjust again uh, in uh, uh, late part, late latter part of this year. Uh, but um, uh, hold it for a year. Uh, there's no penalty um, after a year. Um, so it's a great place, in our opinion, for folks to invest some of their money to hedge against uh, inflation. Yeah, in matter of fact, we did talk about that and uh, they're paying it's paying right now 9.62%, so you hit the nail on the head there over 9%. Uh, you can get more information on that uh, at treasurydirect.gov, but I would certainly recommend that if you're making something like this a part of your overall portfolio. Talk with a pro. I, I, I suppose, uh, Ray, since you're uh, on with us today, you'd be one of those pros. Raymond Ferrara is the uh, executive chair and the CCO of uh, Provise Management Group. They're located right here in the Tampa Bay region. I know they've got clients all over. Uh, you can give uh, Ray a call or you can go right to their website, as a matter of fact, and get all of their information, get to know their team, see about the 35-plus years of experience. As Ray's already alluded to, remembering back into the 70s, it's not you're not reading about it in history books, Ray. You were there. You were working it, and uh, you can get all that info on uh, their team at provise.com. Now, let's talk a little bit, shift gears here about the baby boomer generation. They're about ready to pass along about thirty eight billion dollars onto their heirs when they when they pass. So, what is the future of estate taxes? Because that certainly plays a role in that. Well, um, back uh, during the Trump administration, uh, a long-term um, uh, plan was put in place uh, uh, to reduce estate taxes by significantly raising the amount that uh, people can set aside, and it's adjusted for inflation. Um, and right now, a married couple could pass up to $24 million and not pay any estate taxes. But in order to get the bill passed for the for a short period of time, um, a compromise was reached that beginning uh, January first, twenty twenty six, we will go back to um, where we were adjusted for inflation, which probably would cut the exemption in half uh, to about twelve million dollars. Um, in uh, at that point, anything over that amount of money, uh, the tax is a 40% tax. So it's not insignificant in, in any uh, shape or form. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people, in our opinion, are taking some drastic steps um, at a relatively young age uh, to try to take advantage of the $24 million exemption that exists uh, today. Uh, and we want to caution people to, you know, be careful. We don't know um, come the election uh, this November um, if the Republicans take control uh, of the of the Senate and or the, uh, the House, and perhaps both. Um, we, we may see different legislation being passed than we're seeing today. Now, of course, uh, some of that legislation will not be signed by uh, the president. But then we have another election in 2024, which is. Um, some um, 15 months or 14 months before the law changes. So 
So people ought to be taking steps to look at the long long term impact of estate taxes. What is the what are I'm not going to say vanilla, but not these fancy things where you perhaps are taking some risk that a lot of people are suggesting to people so that they can sell a lot of life insurance or make a lot of legal fees. Uh, it's it's important to to take a long term look at it. Baby boomers who are passing it on um, uh, to their next generation. Um, I have to say that from our, many of our client standpoints, uh, they, they're, they're, they're a very philanthropic group, uh, and more and more of them are leaving a significant part of their, of their wealth, not to the kids and the grandkids, but uh, to uh, charitable organizations. Yeah, that's well. And there, maybe that's a generational thing, and and I hope that it is. And maybe maybe other generations will consider that as well. But one of the biggest assets that is uh, likely to be passed along is an IRA. And when somebody inherits an IRA, what sorts of things must be done? IRAs uh, are an unbelievable way to generate wealth for retirement, which is what the intended purpose was. Uh, it's hard to believe that when IRAs were created uh, back in 1974 on Labor Day, the law actually went into effect, uh, that you could put away all of $2,000. <laughs> uh, now, $2,000 back in 1974 was obviously worth a lot more than it is, it is today. Right. But over the years, Congress is, and is still committed to trying to create security for people uh, with retirement. But what has also happened, because people have been able to accumulate more dollars uh, than some imagined, uh, it has been a great way to pass on wealth. So much so uh, that a concept called a stretch IRA was created, where if I passed away and I left the money to my grandchild, who was one year old, just saying, um, that uh, they could take the money out um, of the IRA over their entire lifetime. So that it could take another 80, 85 years or more before the government was going to get paid the taxes for the money that was in there. Hmm. So uh, with the SECURE Act, which was passed uh, in response to the pandemic, uh, they changed the rules so that most, not all, uh, non-spousal beneficiaries of an IRA must withdraw the money uh, within a 10-year period of, of time. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some exceptions in addition to the spouse, uh, a minor child, uh, a disabled uh, individual, uh, and a couple of others uh, that are in there. But for the most part, everybody has to take the money out over 10 years. And what most of us um, believed was the case is that you could take it as you wanted to as long as you took it within the 10-year period. And now the IRS is coming back and saying, no, that's not fast enough for some beneficiaries. And they've proposed some new regulations that would make it much more complicated and force the money to come out uh, much sooner. So anybody who is inheriting an IRA, please get together with a a certified financial planner uh, to, to discuss the options, to understand the tax implications, and to look at the best tax strategies for you to get the most from uh, the IRA that you inherited by paying the least amount to the government. 
Yeah, that's super important, especially, uh, you know, not that not that we don't think Uncle Sam needs uh, our money and certainly wants our money, but most of us would like to give as little as possible <laughs> and turning it over um, it, it legally, it, it, you know, is legally possible. Um, that leads me to a question that's super important. Most of our listeners in thinking about the conversation, um, should boomers tell their kids about their estate plans? And if so, Maybe should they have family meetings? What's the best step, best strategy for that? So um, everyone has to assess their own personal situation. But one of the things that is more difficult to talk about uh, than sex is money. Um, and that's not only between husband and wife, but it's certainly true as it exists within the families. I mean, it, kids are not stupid. Uh, they know when mom and dad have money, but they don't really know how much money mom and dad really have. Um, and they may not understand after mom and dad are gone why mom and dad did what they did, whether they left the money to charity, as we talked about a few minutes ago, whether they left it in a trust for the children. Maybe they bypassed the children, gave it all to the grandchildren in trust. Um, so uh, sometimes can cause some very bitter feelings. So we encourage families to take the time uh, to uh, spend and at a high level, for sure, and as detailed as you want to get, explain what will happen when mom and dad are gone. Um, A lot of the uh, older children of the baby boomer generation are planning their retirement based on what they're going to inherit from mom and dad. And that might not work out the way they think it's it's going to. Right. Um, and so we encourage families to get together. We spend a lot of time uh, with our clients, um, encouraging them to do that, helping to facilitate those meetings, uh, helping to um, the the children and the, and perhaps some adult grandchildren to understand what mom and dad, grandpa and grandma's uh, plans really are. And again, you can get at a very high level but give enough information without giving detail, or you can dive down right down into all of it if if you're comfortable doing so. Mm, This is such a great episode. We could talk on this for hours, but we only have about a minute and a half, so I'm going to ask you one more question, uh, and this is about Social Security and Medicare. The recent news on both was not very encouraging. Uh, In about a minute or so, can you summarize the recent report for those that would be interested in Social Security and Medicare? Every year, uh, the uh, trustees for uh, Social Security and Medicare have to give a report uh, to Congress and to the public about the financial health or lack thereof of the two of the two programs. Um, uh, for Medicare, um, given the current state of Medicare and where it is, uh, it will uh, run out of money uh, in the trust fund uh, sometime probably in 2028, uh, maybe as early as 2027 which means they either have to raise the Medicare tax or they got to raise the Medicare premium. Social Security, same kind of situation, but it's 2035 when they run out of money, according to the trustees, and then those that are receiving Social Security would only get about 80% of their current benefits. Mm. So Congress has got to step up and do something. Yeah, yeah, they've got to figure it out because uh, that'll be about the time that I'm getting ready to retire. <laughs> I want to make sure what I put in. Hey, listen, and I know I could have done better with managing it had they given me the opportunity, but uh, they didn't. So they better uh, do with what I gave them well. And uh, I'm sure all of our listeners think that, too.
Well, that's a wrap of today's episode of the Business Beyond the Boardroom podcast, a feature of the Business Beyond the Boardroom live radio show. The full live radio show airs each and every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Anywhere in the U.S., all you got to do is simply go to moneytalk1010.com and then click on that little Listen Live button. You can listen from anywhere, even on your phone. And if you're in the Tampa Bay region, you can listen live on the radio on Money Talk 1010 AM, 90. 2.1 FM or 99.5 HD2. Now, I'd love to connect up with you on the socials as well. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And if you want better digital marketing results for your business, hop over to my website at marksteckman.com. I appreciate you listening. Make it a great day.